0: tNKR media
1: welcome to today's entrepreneur a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business presented by FL Montreal my name is Dan Delmar along with my co-host Mike Newton Hello Mike Hey Dan how you doing I'm good how are you good thank you and today on the program, we have a young entrepreneur who has come up with a platform to really reduce a lot of waste and create some more efficiency in the manufacturing sector.
2: Yeah, it's uh, you know, and, and it's really good to see, uh, we've had a number of them in the last little while, is this young entrepreneurial spirit of starting new businesses and, and, and reaching out. It's actually very
1: encouraging. Felix-Adrian Belil-Dockrill is a president and co-founder of Grad4, and uh, he will join us in a moment. Plus, we'll talk about talent recruitment with Marie-Pierre Moreau from p Visio. That's coming up later and, um, and we'll start with a, with a conversation on talent and, and how to uh, best manage your talent, especially as we head into happier times, hopefully, but the chance of, of more uncertain times is, is always there, Mike. And um, this piece from Harvard Business Review you wanted to discuss uh, talks about uh, when your employee discloses a mental health condition. This is a really complicated topic. So something that I think mercifully we're all becoming more aware of what is the process? You know, an employee comes to you and says, you know, I need a mental day off. You know, I, I have X condition. Um, what, what then is the obligation of an employer?
2: Well, there's the legal side and there's the moral side. Uh, you know, obviously, at the end of the day, anything that has to do with mental illness um, is not visible, right? You break an arm, uh, you come in in a cast. Uh, you know, it's a, it's easy to prove you're having mental illness issues. Uh, you know, it's, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety, and and you can't see it, and 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 it creates. I mean, it's part of the stigma we've dealt with for a very long time. As in our communities, forget as employers, just generally in the community, and and I think this the whole COVID environment is just is just blown up uh, the mental wellness and 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 mental illness issues that we are going to face. And you know, I kind of said to you a few minutes ago that we're not out of the woods yet. I mean, I don't even think, think we've even begun to scratch the surface on on the the epidemic and uh, sort of the pandemic's effects on mental wellness.
1: What uh, what should employers do going forward to make sure this transition is as easy as possible? Because the offices are not going to go back to the way they were, uh, you know, exactly a year ago. There will certainly be some precautions. There are still uh, health concerns out there, despite the fact that in a few months we'll hopefully uh, most of us will be vaccinated. What steps should should I guess employers take to make sure those first three days, especially, are are pleasant?
0: well i think you've got a number of things that you have to address one is you have to be creating an environment of openness for dialogue and and you know this goes back before the pandemic started in terms of dealing with mental health issues i mean the amount of uh, of 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 work days and lost uh, productivity to mental illness in the last decade is astronomical and, and we don't even we don't even we, we're having a hard time trying to calculate what that is so imagine what that's going to be going forward our, our biggest concern is the moment we say go and we can go back into our offices is how quickly are we going to be able to encourage people to come back in environments I mean there's going to be a lot of PTSD and, and, and fear as much as it was scary to go home it's going to be twice as hard to, to come back and the reality of, of, of creating an openness environment is, is is one that you know I'm happy to say we started a bit earlier before the pandemic, and that's possibly because I spent a very large part of my life battling anxiety and depression, and, and being very willing to open the dialogue, uh, bring in uh, speaking, uh, you know, bring in therapists, bring in speakers uh, on a subject that most leaders I think have just kind of shied away from. So you know for the first 5 years when i started to accept that i needed to take medication for my anxiety issues uh, i didn't tell a soul i started to look around and 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 recognize how many people were in similar pain and i almost felt like it was a duty at the end of the day to put my hand up and say you know what we're all we're all in this together and how do we deal with it and i'll tell you after like i said a lifetime of battling it i still can't always pick it out somebody walks into my office to talk about it and as an employer, your initial reaction is, yeah, really? Is that really what you're feeling? Like, are you looking for a day off? And I'm battling it myself. So, you know, if I'm having a hard time with that, how does somebody who's not necessarily open to it feel uh, that they can address it properly?
1: I think it's amazing, Mike, that uh, that you're so um, forthright about uh, about your own struggles. Um, it's it's brave and, uh, and certainly appreciated. Something that should be more common, I think, among leaders in, in the business community because it's a sign of strength. I mean, we all overcome You know, challenges in some form or another, and um, yeah, I I think it's really great that uh, how open you are about that.
2: Well, thanks. You know, I
0: I don't actually see it as brave. I see it as as, is almost a duty at the end of the day to to raise the awareness without turning it into to to drama and a big deal. And there's a very fine line in that. And and I think a lot of employers are going to face that as everybody starts to come back to work in some hybrid format. Uh, You know, just. Right now, a lot of us are on adrenaline. I mean, this, is, this, this whole pandemic is it's people that thrive on adrenaline are actually doing very well in these environments. I'm almost worried about what happens when it's all over and, and, and do we start to crash our degree? And I think that's going to be the challenge ahead for most employers.
1: The, the uh, one challenge, and this is on the HR front, um, in a piece that, that could be related, really, also uh, from HBR, when to take a chance on an imperfect job candidate. And in many cases, you know, that candidate may have a mental health issue, they may be suffering from anxiety, they may be otherwise uh, neuroatypical. When do you know when to take a chance on some of those different types of personalities?
2: Well, I think you got to take
0: a step back and look, first of all, at how you look at employment and how you look at trying to hire people. I mean, you know, for years, and when you're hiring in, a, in an environment where you're, you're hiring people's character, personality, honesty, loyalty, they are not things that are easily measured in the interview process. Um, you know, and, and what we don't do is, is we're not necessarily data driven in the way we deal with it. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, if you're looking to fill a job, look at the people you have that are successful. What are the common traits? What are the common um, things that they bring to the table when you go to market that you want to replicate in, in somebody? There is no such thing as the perfect candidate. I mean, we've had this conversation time and again about, well, we're going to look for the perfect person. And I, at that point, you, you're, you're going to wait forever because it doesn't actually exist. Um, but you got to look at the characteristics. you got to look at what's needed to succeed in the job and assess the candidates on those factors. You know, I, I kind of joke that, um, you know, we, we have a terrible tendency of, of reacting that, uh, you know, when you're really desperate for staff, you know, your first question is you put your hand to your wrist and go, hey, do they have a pulse? Uh, two, will they accept and are we desperate enough? And three, uh, you know, the the common culture, certainly from an older perspective, is I don't care if they don't fit or not. Ultimately, at the end of the day, culture doesn't matter. I need somebody to do the job. I need a butt in a chair. Well, that's going to come back and haunt you at some point down the road if you're not dealing with it properly.
1: And uh, Mike Newton, we have a young entrepreneur today who's, uh, again, um, very tech heavy and being backed by some interesting local partners. Felix Adrian Bilil-Docreal is a president and co-founder of Grad4. Felix, welcome to Today's Entrepreneur. Thank you very much. I'm happy to join the show. And Mike, another example, I think, of of uh, of a new wave of made in Quebec companies manufacturing I've I've seen explode in in Montreal in recent months. This is a really good sign.
0: It really is. It's 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 great to see. I mean, we've had a couple of other other young entrepreneurs on the last little while, and it really uh, it it really creates a, a very positive. Move going forward. I mean, it's the one thing that you know. You said nobody wants to let a good pandemic go to waste. So ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, as we go through this, to see the young people that are coming forward with some of these ideas is really very encouraging. Felix, let's uh, let's dive right in. So, uh, if you look at, uh, let's start a little bit on history. Uh, Where did you go to school, and what drove you to to do what you're doing today?
3: Yeah, sure. So I studied mechanical engineering at ETS in Montreal. um, And I started to work at Bombardier Aerospace. There, I was in charge of what they call QIR. So it's quality inspection requirement. When there's an issue with a plane, we need to understand what might be the root cause of that challenge. So I had to work with a lot of suppliers and partners, but I was using Excel spreadsheet to track information, email, telephone, and faxes to communicate with suppliers. So I thought that there might be a better way to find, connect, and collaborate with those suppliers. Um, so I joined an accelerator called Santec um, uh, next to ETS. And there I met uh, wonderful partners and together we, we, we built uh, the company.
2: So What exactly are you doing? Like, you narrow it down. If I go to the website, I look, I look at it and say, hey, to me, it's a,
0: you know, providing uh, manufacturing capabilities. You're not actually making or manufacturing your own products, correct? You're, you're an outsource.
3: Exactly. So we, we give access to those uh, machine shop. It's uh, the same structure as Airbnb. Airbnb is not a, an, an hostel or a, a inviting uh, place to stay. They connect people. They give access to those uh, available capabilities. So we do the same thing in the manufacturing industry for custom metal production. So everything from CNC machine, sheet metal and welded assembly, you go on our platform fill the requirement and it's then available to every capable suppliers who then can give
2: prices and delays. And with that information, you choose who you work with. So dumb it down for us. CNC, what does that mean?
3: Uh, Yeah, it's uh, machining parts. So it's uh, computer uh, um, supported. Um, If you look outside of the of your office, a lot of uh, industrial equipment, uh, light bulb and everything requires some machine part uh, to work. Um, also, uh, cars, a lot of components are, are machined. Uh, those are the type of uh, product that we use. Just in uh, Quebec and Ontario, those metal, metal manufacturing part is a $7 billion industry. So it's uh, pretty large uh, and
2: common. So if I ask you to describe your business, you're a software company, you are... Is that yeah. what you would consider? Yeah, okay.
3: and and we're building a network. That's how we, we see it. We help people to connect together and we provide access to information to take the best decision. Um,
2: yeah. are, you, are, are you exclusively in Quebec at this point? Are your suppliers – so are, are you bringing them together or do you have a stable of suppliers that then bid for things that, that you're putting out there?
3: So we're, we're providing access to those capabilities, but then we we'll let the buyer select who they want to work with. And same thing for the suppliers, they have available uh, offers uh, and they can decide if they bid on those availability. And the other question was, are we only based in Quebec? So the majority of our users are in Quebec, but we just started expansion in Ontario um, recently. We had early success there because the manufacturing industry is strong there uh, and will soon go uh, overboard in the in the U.S.
1: Give us an idea of the type of companies you're working with and the type of products that are that are uh, getting boosts as a result of Grad4.
3: Yeah, a great question. So there is a wide range of companies. Uh, maybe the the most uh, common one or known is a BRP. So they manufacture those equipment, but internally in their factory, they might need to create specific equipment uh, to move things around. Those are, are custom and hard to to uh, to produce. So they work with suppliers. They create the requirement. So for example, the tray that need some metal welded parts, they drop it on the platform and they receive the quotes from the suppliers. So they save a lot of time in that process. Rather than seeking the suppliers, the suppliers come to them and they can find the right partners because we provide information about their capabilities, historical data of previous contracts. So we really simplify the the connection together and we go a step further because we support them Uh, by managing payment, giving information after the contract is given and centralizing all that important information for those uh, buyers and suppliers.
2: So I'm a money guy. How do you make money?
3: Transaction fee. It's pretty simple. So for a buyer, it's free to use in order to increase activity on the platform, and on the supplier's side, for every contract they get, they pay us a transaction fee. But it's important to say that this is how it works in that industry. Even an employee will have is uh, is all take rate for every contract that they can get. So what we created is, is a platform free to use, um, and once you receive a contract, it's part of the the, the normal behavior to give the cut to uh, the source of
2: that contract. So no advertising dollars, nothing along those lines. So you're not quite the 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 software company when people think of, you know, a lot of those environments. You think of making money off of ad revenue or you know banner ads or whatever the case is. This is purely a transactional based environment.
3: Exactly. There are other opportunities to monetize in the future. We will be able to create a market trend, uh, other insight that could be sold. But our real focus currently is to grow the network make sure we provide value and we improve the product which is interesting because we have an engaged community they care about the product that they use on a daily basis so they provide us feedback that we can leverage to create those new features that are requested
2: so how do, you, how do you manage supplier quality? How do you, I mean, is, you're a guy that comes from quality control. How do you make sure that the suppliers are coming online, aren't just bidding their way into something and and, and maybe sully the, the reputation that you guys are trying to build?
3: So there's an initial assessment that is done as any buyer would do. So you need some report about previous work that was done. What are the certification that they have? We also request uh, pictures of the factory. Previously, we went on... Uh, onto the the factory and visit uh, their installation, but now it's not possible anymore. So we went for a digital way to assess the quality machine shop. Um, But from there, what we provide is data from the platform so we can assess if the previous contract were well done or not. And and, uh, for now, with over 500 contract given on the platform, things went really well with that process. As we scale, we'll leverage other data source of previous contract that were made. so, yeah, but it's,
2: so basically, all your suppliers really have to to, to to upload access to information, same as they would anywhere else at this point. You're, how, do you, how So how, question, how do you mitigate risk associated with this? Is it anywhere where a buyer ultimately can turn around and say, you know, Felix, uh, we got the supplier through you. Uh, we didn't do a good job. Something happened. How do you protect yourself?
3: So this is a great question. So we position ourselves. As a data platform, we provide information to help you take your decision. So, what we make sure is right is the data provided. But from there, you're choosing your partner, and you have to to manage the relationship uh, with them.
2: So, I guess if I go on site on site, I mean the the contract is obviously available uh, on site, and I see what my requirements are. So, if I'm a supp- I'm a supplier, I know I have to live up to certain. Uh, quality standards and uh, an understanding, and from a buyer's perspective, the reverse is you've protected yourself in that area as well.
3: Exactly, and and we do a double-sided um, review. So the suppliers review the buyer: were they paying on time? Were they providing the right information? And on the buyer's side, they they assess the quality and the delays.
1: Felix, how did all of this start? I mean, you mentioned Airbnb off the top. That must have been a big inspiration and, um, and a big sort of selling point, especially with, with younger entrepreneurs.
3: Yeah, totally. In those type of environment, the goal is to create a network, uh, but you need some initial users to provide access to those initial users. Uh, so what we did before coding the first line uh, of code for the product, we went to visit some machine shop and say, hey, would you be interested in joining that network and will uh, give you access to new opportunities. Um, And at the time we were selling early membership so they could access the beta platform before it's even available to the rest of the public. Uh, And that worked out pretty well. So we were able to sell those membership, build a small community and with them build the product that will be uh, required.
2: What are your next steps? I mean, you talked about how you got this going and, you know, before you even started to code, uh, you seem to have a decent base going at this point. Are you looking outside of Quebec? Are you looking North American? Are you looking worldwide at some point? What are are the goals and the objectives?
3: Yeah, great question. So uh, definitely it's a worldwide opportunity because manufacturing is managed the same way it was managed for the past 20 years using Excel spreadsheet and uh, handwritten note. So a tool like ours... uh, It's definitely important, especially considering what COVID uh, highlighted. Supply chain need to be resilient. You need to work with the right suppliers at any given time. And those are the things that we can provide. But you also mentioned the the size of the network. So what I've talked about is when we had like 25 suppliers, we now have over 200 suppliers, machine shop in Quebec, and we have early users in Ontario. And our goal is really to to build that uh, availability all across
1: uh, North America. Quebec entrepreneurs are very eco-conscious. How uh, how much does this play into your business model? Because it strikes me that you're um, you're saving a lot of stuff from going in the garbage.
3: Yeah, great point. And also, uh, we have amazing uh, machining capabilities here in Quebec, and a lot of production is sent. Oversee. So uh, my co-founders uh, worked in a machine shop, and it thought like, how? Why are we not getting more opportunities? So that's how we had that that idea, uh, and we create what we call a proximity supply chain. So sometimes your best partners is across the road, but you don't know that their machine shop exists. Uh, so we worked with Vention, a company that create uh, industrial equipment uh, with a digital platform, and they were able to to brought. Um, Multiple hundred thousands of dollars from overseas partners to uh, Quebec suppliers. So we're really proud of uh, creating that uh, uh, economy opportunities and proximity supply chain.
2: One of the biggest problems, I think, in North American manufacturing has been the cost to actually manufacture. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we lost a lot of it to China and Vietnam and, 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 and the clothing industry and, and everything else. When, when you look at this, do you see this as an opportunity to help bring the cost of manufacturing down and thus ultimately keep it closer closer to home?
3: Definitely. And it's important to strengthen those capabilities. So if all our machine shop closes, we won't be able to provide this in the future. So we need to make sure that they're well-structured, they have enough opportunities. I think the government has a role to play in that, but the other thing is technology. If initially you had a team of 80 people to do a job, but now with the right equipment and the right software, four people can do the same thing, then you become competitive again. So by having the right, uh, as I said, equipment and technology, our suppliers can become really competitive and then the, um, the cost of, uh, bringing the, the, the parts to the suppliers are cheaper. So your local supplier becomes th- the best, uh, price and delays without compromising equality. quality. Yeah.
2: How, how much of this is IP related? How much is, uh, you know, of this, do you have the ability to control from a, from an intellectual property perspective?
3: So the, the biggest, um, strength or protection IP we have is the network, the bigger it is, the harder it is to move us away. But we're working on some specific um, features that leverage the data that we gather so we can identify what will be the partner before the partner is even aware of the job availability. So we're working on those uh, features, leveraging artificial intelligence and uh, our database that we built ourselves uh, to create some ip protected features. They are still in, in development, um, but they're a great opportunity there.
2: And the last question I have that uh, you know, that is the age-old question, is this all sweat equity or did you guys get financing? And where did you get financing from? And what does the next round of growth entail from, from, from a dollars perspective?
3: Uh, Great question. So we we are in Quebec and there's a lot of uh, uh, non-dilutive fund available for technology, uh, deep tech, artificial intelligence. So we were able to um, sustain our growth thanks to those programs. Sales also was a a great contribution. So um, we grew the team to now 25 people. But we are in the process of closing a $1.5 million seed round with investors um, to really fuel that growth and expansion in the new markets.
2: So will, will that be enough to get you across Canada or is this really just to continue to, to, to explore and explode the Quebec market?
3: Well, the, the Great Lake area is where the, the manufacturing of North America is centralized. So we don't need to go that far. Uh, for example, in the U.S. is the Michigan market. So that's mm-hmm. one of our target and uh, Ontario. So with those three hubs or area, we can have a really, really successful business to put us in position to raise the next round and do the international expansion and go overseas
2: or uh, southward. Too bad Donald Trump didn't have access to that. Maybe he could have kept some of the manufacturing here.
3: (laughs) Yeah, he he wished
2: (laughs) So, you, when, uh, Felix, when you look at, uh, you said you have some co-founders, you have 25 employees now, uh, structurally and the way you have put the company together, I mean, it's one thing to, to create, it's another thing to try and put uh, a, a corporate structure in place. What's been a bigger challenge, the coding and the, and the market or, or trying to work together?
3: Uh, well, uh, luckily, one of my co-founders. of have knew him for, for a while. Uh, we were doing Hackathon at the time, so those are competition for uh, of twenty four hours to solve a technical problem. So we know. How to work together in some really stressful environment. And now building a, a company is a set of new challenges, like, as you said, creating the structure, the culture, the vision, and everything. But uh, Montreal's ecosystem for startup is amazing. We were surrounded by um, really successful mentors. We took part in accelerators such as Next AI, which is focused on artificial intelligence company. Uh, we went to Soundtech, uh, where we really built the company from an idea to uh, the first few employees um, and now we're looking for VC money to, to grow that to the next phase and uh, we're in discussion with a great fund that had that expertise and had success with other entrepreneurs so we're looking forward to uh, learn with them uh, and in the journey.
2: So how can I not ask this question? Will you will you ever have an office, office or is this going to be virtual the whole way through?
3: Well, we, we, we had an office at Santec at first, uh, but we were in discussion about uh, doing something fully remote. We knew it was a great opportunity. We see some really successful company uh, that had no office. So it was, it was an opportunity or an idea that we had with covid arriving it accelerated everything and before the lockdown we took a decision to close the office and have everyone working from home because uh, they felt safe and it did not impact our productivity actually it actually it increased it because we removed the commune and we had to work um, in a data-driven manner and document everything Uh, but now that we can open the office um, the role of the office will be like to meet people and have um those type of discussion and, and social event, but it's not a place to work on a daily basis. It's more of a of a tool. Okay.
1: Felix, we're going to have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a few minutes. Thanks very much for your story. Very impressive. We'll have our one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur from Felix in a moment. Uh, Felix, Adrian, Billil, docriel four names of grad four, and uh, he'll uh, he'll give us his final thoughts in a moment. Uh, Marie-Pierre Mohol joins us, though, for now. Uh, Mike, Marie-Pierre, is the talent recruiter for FL's p division. Marie-Pierre, welcome back to CJD.
4: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: And as a special treat, now we're going to talk quickly about remote candidates and, and recruiting remotely, Mike. And we just thought we'd, we'd grab Ariel, uh, Ariel Blais, who is a, a, a new hire at FL who was hired remotely. Uh, Ariel, how did you find the process? And then, Mike, I'm going to ask you the same question.
4: Um, I was actually really surprised at how easily it was done, but also how quickly and like professionally, um, you know, I was used to the regular process of like getting ready and then physically going into the office to have an interview, meeting with HR, and then, um, you know, maybe going in for a second interview to meet directly with the team that you'd be working with. So I'd say that from one perspective, being able to have all those meetings from home and kind of save on the time that it would have taken me to go into the office twice to meet with people on an anxiety part was kind of a, a lot lighter and easier to deal with. And then I think it also allows the team to kind of see the environment that you work in from home. It kind of gives people a bit more of an idea of like where you come from when they see like the background that you're used to working and living in on a certain sense.
1: Thanks Arielle and welcome. And uh, Ariel will be managing our community at todaysentrepreneur.org if you want to check out all, uh, all the content there. Mike, how did you find these processes um, hiring talent via Zoom?
2: Well, I've been here for a while, so Mary Pierre didn't hire me remotely. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, you know what? It, it, it's interesting. I, I, I'm kind of an old. Uh, I, I'm old school, right? So part of it is tangibility. Part of it is handshake. Part of it is watching somebody's body language when they walk through the front door. I still have a bit of a challenge with that one. I know I'm going to have to learn to bring myself up 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 to speed on this. But you know, it it is definitely something that uh, it, that is the future. And you know, the 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 very encouraging part of this is is how it's going to allow us to start opening up. So, shall we call it the borders for hiring outside of our immediate community for people to work remotely. Um, but I mean, no doubt, I think, uh, Marie-Pierre, from your perspective, I mean, this, uh, the pandemic has affected everyone. Um, has, you know, has it made it, other than the interviewing remotely, has it made any kind of significant impact on your profession?
4: It definitely has an impact. The market is moving really fast. Um, there's a mix of, ca- of candidate profiles. Some people took this pandemic to, I mean, as an opportunity to rethink their future and um, took the decision to make a move for themselves. Other people didn't really have the choice. They've been laid off. Um, so some of them are scared to get back to work in the middle of a pandemic. Some of them have been with the same employer for so long, and they're kind of lost about what they want and who they are, they were not really ready to jump in in an interview process and try to sell themselves. So on one side, as recruiters, we had to adapt our approach with candidates. I would say there's way more of career coaching involved. And on the other side, we have the employers, our clients that also have their concerns about onboarding, training, integration in times of a pandemic with all this virtual aspect um, included. So they obviously ask, are asking for advice. So everyone wants to feel safe, needs stability and is trying to find answers to all their questions. So, as recruiters sitting in between candidates and employers, we're acting more than ever as trusted advisor.
2: Excellent. I'm I'm on am on an accelerator kick lately, and I can thank Dan for that. One, You turned me on to the book uh, uh, that you, if you want to plug down, you can do that in a second. But is the, the pandemic has really moved forward. Uh, a lot of things that we probably wouldn't have seen for two, three, five years as an accelerator. Uh, Are you finding that the pandemic has created an accelerator for you too?
4: I agree 100% with the accelerator aspect of this pandemic. We can just think about how fast we improve with technology or how paperless we became in a very short period of time. But more focusing on recruitment, um, I am very happy because a lot of theory on hiring different types of profile and being more open-minded to um, I mean for transversal skills have been published lately. Actually, Mike, the article you were referring to earlier from HBR about the imperfect candidate was a great example. I feel that the pandemic has changed our vision more quickly on this subject. So maybe it's because many business owners or workers um, showed so much versatility doing tasks outside of their job description because everyone had to roll up their sleeves. Um, this shows us that while looking for new employee, having an ideal profile in mind or a wish list is a great starting point, but some people also have potential, even if they don't look like the perfect thing on the paper. Um, As an example, one of our clients was looking for an accountant one of the candidates had extensive experience as a controller, including team supervision and so on. It would have been so easy not to contact him saying he was overqualified, but we contacted him and found out that he wanted He wanted to move down a level, to focus on the technical side and wouldn't mind the salary drop because it wasn't his priority moving forward in his career. So we presented him to the client uh, and they finally hired him because they were open-minded and they they understood the candidate's vision. It actually worked really well. So we were really proud and happy about that one. Um, So this way of recruiting is becoming the new norm as people need to feel recognized, valued, and useful more than ever. If you keep these beliefs and values in mind, it will help you hire a great candidate, that's for sure.
1: Marie-Pierre Moreau, talent recruiter at p division of FL. Thanks so much, Marie-Pierre.
4: Thank you very much for having me.
1: And Mike, by the way, that book we're referring to, and I want to take some time on the next show to talk about it. It's called Post-Corona, From Crisis to Opportunity, from Scott Galloway, who you may have seen on Real Time with Bill Maher a couple of weeks ago. Uh, really fantastic book. And, and the lesson is, yeah, it's, it's it doesn't have to disrupt everything. This, this is not, you know, life goes on. Uh, it's just an accelerant uh, more than a disruptor. So just accelerate. Um, and on that note, uh, Felix, uh, you're certainly doing that, accelerating an industry that, that needs accelerating. What is your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur?
3: So when you start the company, you need to be really Um, cautious about how you spend money. And so you work with interns or people that are not paid, but as you grow, this mentality will slow you down. Uh, So I would advise entrepreneurs to not be cheap. So hire experienced people that are willing to take uh, the opportunity of working with a young company and pay what they're worth. This will accelerate the growth um, at a much faster pace. So that would be uh, my piece of advice.
1: Great advice. Thanks so much, Felix. Uh, from grad four. Best of luck to you and to Marie Pierre as well. We'll, uh, Marie Pierre will be back on CJD soon, uh, giving us talent recruitment advice. And uh, Mike, final thoughts on uh, on our young entrepreneurs today.
2: I, again, I, I'm fascinated by the, the the encouragement of of the new generation, and and, I, and I'm gonna. I'll leave you with one thought. We started to address this uh, internally with our young professional group of what's being accelerated, and the discussion that's coming up is the. Uh, uh, the imminent uh, rise to fame of the general Zers uh, and what that's going to look like to the min- millennial group. So uh, they've identified it as an accelerant where they thought maybe this was going to be three to five years. It's actually upon us now. So, you know, it's nice to sit on the other side of the equation for a change and, and not be the one being uh, being uh, criticized. So, hey, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff going on
1: back in a couple of weeks. Don't forget today's entrepreneur.org for all our back catalog and resources as well. Uh, We're now on iTunes, iHeartRadio, of course, Spotify and other platforms. So listen wherever you like, and we'll see you soon.